Dudes of Kung Fu. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 10 of Dudes of Kung Fu. See, now you get to see it live. Everybody thinks that I do it, like one of those Hong Kong movies where I'm talking and he's just moving his lips and shit, but he actually speaks. <laughs> That's right, occasionally, occasionally, when okay. he lets me. Well, as you guys know, we're, here, we're live at uh, Alex's school. I, um, I took a ferry, I took a train, I took a bus. Sherpas. A Sherpa. Yeah. If I knew what a Sherpa was, it'd be okay. <laughs> But I took one anyway because I had to come from the great, state, the great state of Staten Island. Yeah, I know it's only a borough, but to me it's a state. To visit Mr. Alex's school on the 17th floor of his, uh, this building here. And 17th floor. Well, 17th, 18th, something like that. It felt like the 25th floor, I can tell you that much. I literally, I, like, I, I love Alex. Everybody knows I love Alex. I literally cursed him every step. <laughs> I'm talking about every step from when I left the house. I was like walking down the steps in front of my house, and I'm like, this fucking guy, this fucking guy. And it didn't stop until I opened up the door here, and I said, oh, I better be nice to him in front of his students. I say the same thing when I go up those stairs, though. Just, oh, well, yeah, but just yeah. Make, yeah, this is true. It's the only reason I can afford this space is because we are on the 17th floor. You know, if I was like on the fourth floor or something, it'd be ridiculous. You know, I should do that at home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I bet if I put my house like on the 17th floor, I'd have, my, my kids would bother me a lot less also. Yeah, and it'd be way cheaper for sure. This is true. This is true. So we have a lot to talk about this week. We, we, uh, we kind of planned it out, and that's bullshit. We didn't plan out anything. Well, before we, I mean, before we even talk about any Wing Chun or Jeet Kune Do stuff, I think... Something something happened last week that I never would have thought in a million years would have actually happened. You had sex with a girl. No, no, no. That will never happen. <laughs> okay. Brock Lesnar got popped for steroids. Can oh my you God. believe that? Brock Lesnar on steroids? That's like I, I, me on pizza. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> are you kidding me? Brock Lesnar's on steroids? I was shocked. I Next thing you. you're going to know, like, wrestling is fake. I don't know. I mean, when I look at his body, he looks like... You know, he probably got that way from eating horse meat or something like that. Right, <laughs> eating some kind of meat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, steroids, steroids in MMA, is, it's, it's so different than steroids in other sports, you know? It's like, when you, when you, when you think about MMA, if, I, if you're taking steroids in baseball, first of all, steroids in baseball should be fucking mandatory. I want to see, like... Every pitch, 150 mile an hour, and I want to see every home run go 500 yards. See, I don't know anything about baseball, but I heard since they cracked down on it, like, baseball sucks now. Right, that's what I mean. So, so in baseball, steroids should be mandatory. Because what's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to break the record of some alcoholic in 1947. <laughs> Who gives a shit, you know? But in MMA, if, if someone's on steroids, you may actually get, like, a broken face, Speaking of broken face, did you see what happened in Bellator? Oh my God! Well, he got better looking. Yeah. <laughs> he got there was I I I I don't remember the fighter's name, but I think it was last week in Bellator. There was a fighter that took a knee to the head or something yeah, like that, it's... and it actually caved in his forehead and pushed like his eye down or something. Okay, like but that. Now this is the best part. The guy is it's it's Chris Cyborg. Yes, married to Chris Cyborg. Well, he's married to the other, the, the right. female cyborg. Right, so, I mean, now they got a knee hard in the fucking head, so she looks better. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm not saying anything. I'm afraid of her, man. I don't oh, want yeah, her well, coming here. Yeah, no, she took, they, he took an, it literally crushed his head. Yeah, it's, it's like a baseball got stuck in his forehead or something. But, and, see, and you can tell me, like, MMA is not, like, that's the problem with, like, steroids and MMA. I mean, sure. it's, if, if you punch me in the face, it's a human being punching another human being. Right. But, like, if you have, like, superhuman, metahuman strength... Yeah, like the stuff they were giving Drago in Rocky IV. Like, if you had that stuff, right? You know, you're talking about people hey, getting they serious. He, dude, he killed Apollo Creed. No. Yeah. I mean, he was, on, he was on the juice. Spoiler man. alert, only, dude. Only Rocky was strong enough to get punched in the face by that dude. <laughs> yeah, that's some serious stuff. Well, you know what? We should probably run a test. Ethan, go downstairs and buy some steroids. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of thinking we're going to need stuff that's not a GNC. <laughs> need some serious stuff. You know what? He looks like sneaky. I bet he's got steroids in his bag. Dude. He's, like, he's like 13 years old. And here I am cursing. <laughs> we should have told you we have a minor in our presence, oh, which wonderful. is very rare. This I know he a... looks he looks much older, and, and, and he's, he has got the, the feet of a grown-ass man. <laughs> They're like twice the size of my feet. It's I'm not even going to go there. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, and also, um, 
Chad Mendez got popped for steroids, or not not popped for steroids. He got popped for like a masking agent. He's got a two year ban from UFC. That's crazy. He's now like two year ban. I mean, that's how are they gonna make a living? Yeah, it's 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 just gonna be coaching. I mean, that's that's and you know you know that unless you have a right. an uber successful school, you're not you're not gonna make any kind of money coaching. Sure. sure. That's. Uh, well, I think they're trying tough. to discourage it. That's why they have the mandatory two-year ban. Oh yeah, I'm not saying which, I don't agree with it. Right. It's, it, des- it definitely needs to change. I mean, it's like I said, because people people are going to die, and if that starts happening, there goes the sport. I mean, right. it's one of the few sports I care about. Right. You know that other than hockey. I mean, and in football. Right. I guess I'll. And baseball sports, when they use steroids. Well, no. You see, yeah, they have to use. Baseball is not a sport unless it's steroids. It's basically fucking bowling with a stick. <laughs> it's like, you know, who gives a shit? It's just, you know, it's like really, like, it's like really baseball. Is, I'm sorry, I know it's the American way. I don't give a shit. There's, there's hockey. There's hockey, there's football, and there's MMA. Right. And I know the Canadians right now are all like, oh, yeah, he's talking about hockey. Hockey's American. Okay, let's get something straight. Canada hasn't won the Stanley Cup since like 1994 or something. So no one, right. no one in Canada. He wasn't cares. even born then. He wasn't even born then. He has bigger feet than Alex. <laughs> <laughs> That's not saying much. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, well, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next few years. Uh, now that they're really trying to clean up steroids, so is MMA going to become like baseball? Is it going to become boring now that everyone is? Now I, I hear what you're saying about. You know, when you have performance-enhancing drugs and we're talking about someone's health when you're kneeing right. in the it's, head it's, is one thing. But, you know, we, we do know now that a lot of the past champions were, were juicing. They were on something. And right. they had these amazing performances for so many years. Now, if they totally clean up MMA, is it going to become boring as hell? I mean, are, the, are, they gonna, are we going to see fighters who get tired much earlier than we're used to? Are we going to see, you know, people who are not punching and kicking as fast? I mean, like, mm-hmm. the same thing might happen. What do you well, think? Well, then we'll just have to give them weapons. Hey, that's awesome. <laughs> that's Really, cool. come on. I mean, you picture like, you know, GSP with a pair of nunchucks. Wow, that is definitely that next, that awesome. is some next level shit right there. That would be, I mean, we, you know what? You should create a class. That's not bad. You know, like you would have GSP, like, like, so you would have different categories. It would no longer be based on weight. It would be based on weapon. It would be based on weapon. So you'd have like the I could be like the nunchuck class. champion of, right. of the UFC. You can have like the spear champion. Right, it was broadsword machine gun. You're laughing, but there's a fucking champion in Brooklyn who eats Coney Island hot dogs once a year, right? That's right. You could be the champion in anything. I'm I'm gonna buy myself a medal for making it up four flights of freaking stairs. (laughs) We should give you a medal for doing that. (laughs) You'd be be surprised how how you know part of the reason why we put it there is just to keep challengers away from my school. You know, if anyone. Oh yeah, well, (laughs) if if anyone wants to start shit, they're already totally tired by the time they get up here. So we've never had to worry with about anybody trying to start shit with us here because they're already tired. well, that's with me. I, I came up the stairs. Like I said I cursed you every step along the way, <laughs> and then I, I by by the third floor I was like I'm gonna punch the shit out of this son of a bitch as soon as I get <laughs> yeah, up there. Yeah, wait till you get up there, and then, and then I'm here. up there. And I'm like, <laughs> cold water, oxygen. You know? <laughs> Nothing's happening. Once it wasn't until I like regained my composure. That I remember. Oh wait, no, I do like Alex. One second, How does, <laughs> this is gonna be worth it. We're gonna have fun. Okay, I'm not mad at it. I'm not mad at it. Awesome. But do you ever find, all kidding aside, that people? refrain from joining because of it I mean have you ever had people say like because I mean it would be first of all it would be the dumbest freaking thing I don't want to go exercise because I have to exercise to get exactly. there exactly. I mean but it is something I would I fucking to, say you know yeah, what I mean like, yeah. if they ever put a staircase in front of my gym I would never go <laughs> <laughs> I would be like you know but you know so there are lazy bastards but, like but you'll me. go in there and do the stair climber for 30 minutes okay right? so but, you, but, no but like, I tell know. my wife I did <laughs> no honey I swear to god I worked hard and I dunked the shirt in water and I go home and it looks like I was sweating that's right but no do, do, have you had people say like uh, um, well we don't really have that because once once people take the stairs and they get up here, they kind of know what the deal is. We tell them on the phone usually when, when, right, when right, we right. tell them that they're, they're, where the lesson is. Um, but sometimes, well, people make that excuse in general when they come to a martial arts school. Like, they'll come, they'll do a lesson, they'll really like it. They'll be like, oh, the Wing Chun's great, but you know what? I think I need to get in shape first before right, I join. Right, right. And you're like, what? Yeah, like, right. that's exactly why you're here, you know? Sure, and, sure. And, and you know, it would be one thing if they went back and, 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 and like actually went to the gym and, and trained and then came back two, three weeks later and they were like, okay, I worked out for three weeks, now I feel ready to do martial arts training. But you know they're never going to do that. It's just an excuse they tell themselves so that they don't, so they don't have to join now, they can put it off. You know what I mean? It's just... Right, it's, you yeah. know, and it's something that, uh, it's, it's, you know, I'm not going to lie, it's something I, I put off too, you know? I mean, I, uh, 
I'm, as we've spoken on the podcast several times, I'm in the process of losing weight. I'm down, you know, 120 pounds so far. It's amazing. But, you know, so, like, I'm coming from a position of, like, almost not mobile to, like, I feel like, what's his name, Usain Bolt? Like, when I'm walking, I'm like, holy shit, I'm fast, you know? And, like, some lady on a walker, like, takes me over on 6th Avenue. But I'm like, you know, but, like, I I, want to get back into, I used to wrestle. And I want to get back into submission submission grappling. And, uh, you know, I sit there and say, like, Hey guys, are we bothering you back there? Cause you can shut the fuck up. It's okay. Uh, so, <laughs> so, like, I want to get back into submission grappling, and and I and I haven't because sure. you know I say to myself I'm gonna wait to lose more weight until I go. I mean, cause you just picture like I go up and I'm gonna wrestle the 13 year old here. Right. Right. You know, right. It's like you know. There would be a little like stain on the floor where he used I, to be. I'd pay It'd be like that. a little eulogy, but he had big feet. Like I, I really like I, I, I've stopped myself, and and I, and I, and I get mad at myself for stopping myself because it's sure. something I really want to do. Like you know, I mean, when I, when I, when I wrestle, and I used to love it. I used to love grappling. I mean, to me, it was like a. It was like playing chess with your body. You know right. what I mean? It was like uh, when I used to do wrestling under uh, under Matt Thornton with the straight plus gyms. It was like it was it was like being. I used to feel like I was alive. You know right. what I mean? I can't wait to get back to doing that. Awesome, awesome. Well, I mean, you had a today coming up here was kind of a big step for you in terms of like literally your your, your goals. Literally, literally a and big figured. freaking step. It was just, <laughs> yeah, no, this was a big thing. I mean, I've known you for the longest time. Um, I guess, you know, I started off ripping off your how-to channel. <laughs> and I'll be like, okay, what am I going to teach tonight? Let's see what this how-to channel Oh, okay. Let's... <laughs> tonight I'm teaching this. Okay. Thank you, by the way. Oh, no problem. You, you, know, would, not, you would not be the only one. You helped me, me buy a house. And, <laughs> but, um, you know, yeah, no, it's, it's, it is a, uh, the, coming up here was a big step for me. I mean, I know I break Alex's chops all the time. The school was absolutely beautiful. I mean, I haven't been, because there's like a fourth floor and a fifth floor. That's right. And I haven't been up to the fifth floor, and we'll probably both know I'm not going up to the fifth floor, but <laughs> from the fourth floor, I mean, this this school is beautiful. I would love to have this. This is incredible. You have an incredible school. Yeah, uh, thank you, thank you. Well, it worked. I mean, next year, it'll be 15 years we've been doing this, and, and so, uh, you know, I have a lot of great students, have a lot of great help. Do you and, have you pictures know. from you like 15 years ago? Because you must have looked like him. Uh, I looked younger than him, but with at that smaller time. feet, way smaller feet. My feet are still like half the size is. Because I mean, like, I'm sorry, that's the worst thing he could have told me. Cause <laughs> it's because I mean, you're, you know, obviously people know know you. You're very young looking. Right. Fifteen years ago, you must right. have looked like yeah, a ten year old. Fo- I'm almost forty years old. People don't realize that. Wow. Um, no, f- fifteen years ago. Uh, wait, 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 you're I, forty years old. I'm you still old. have that haircut? <laughs> I, I have to look young. <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, who's gonna join my school? Like, I have to look the part, you know. The problem is I'm, I'm right now at the point where I should have looked like this when I was like 24, but when I was 24, I looked like I was 15, and people would come into my school and they'd be like, uh, where, where's the seafood, where's right? The and I'd be like, that's me, I'll teach you. <laughs> Just sign right here, give me all your money. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, it wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't easy because, you know, you know of, of so much of uh, joining a martial arts school is also the, the perception and the feeling you get right. there. And so I had to, you know, bring people in to do a lesson and then I had to really show them that I actually do know what I'm talking about. Because nobody would look at me and be like, oh yeah, that's the guy I want to go learn from, you know, especially in, in those early years. Well, you know what, I, I, I've always had that problem myself. I mean, for the complete opposite reason. You know, I was always the fattest kid on the block. And, you know, I shouldn't say always, you know, but as an adult DJ in martial arts, I was always, you know, I'm the fat guy. And so I always kind of felt like I had to prove myself immediately right. to people when they came. So. Especially when I was running uh, an, an MMA-based school, people would come in and they would be like, "You're the coach," and I'm like, "Yeah." And like people would say to me, "Go punch him," like you know, it was like I had to like almost like spar my way through sure. things, you know, because yeah. like to, just to prove that I had game, sure, you know. And um, and I I was fortunate in that a lot of the guys that came to me already had martial arts experience and they had they kind of lost the whole idea of what a coach Sifu was supposed to be like and they kind of respected the fact that I had a good grasp of strategy and, right. but it's something you know people looking for a martial arts school that's people like kind of write that off as like oh it's just easy you're gonna go I guess the average person just goes to the corner store and right. the corner school but 
for anybody that really cares about the martial arts, I mean, choosing a school is 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 hard. You know, yeah, it's absolutely. absolutely. You know, I mean, I I can't see why someone when I go if I was if I was not new to the martial arts, but if I was you know looking for a new school, and I was going to look for you know. If I was going to advise someone looking for a new school, I should, probably should say, I would, I, I would tell them like you know, train someplace where you feel at home. Sure. Rather than lineage, rather than style, like if I went into like the best Wing Chun, regardless of spelling school, and the Sifu seemed like a jerk, the students seemed like jerks. Which sounds like a highly likely scenario. But. Oh yeah, that's why I purposely <laughs> picked Wing Chun. <laughs> it's just you know the only. Bigger jerks than is in Jeet Kune Do. You yeah, know? I don't it's know. A, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll put I'll put Wing Chun Sifu's to the jerk challenge to any Jeet Kune Do guy. You know, not for nothing, but we can have like a, a oh my god, I almost said like anyway, that's gonna have been bad. <laughs> <laughs> she knows. See, she knows what I was gonna say. Everybody kind of knows. <laughs> we can see. Yeah, we can have a contest to see who's the bigger jerk, right? That was good. Right? That was good. And because I know some, I know some. Jeet Kune Do instructors that are in the sole business of taking money. Now, everybody needs to make money. Right. They're in the business of just taking money as opposed to earning it. Sure. So, sure. like, if you were going to advise someone, hey, you know, I don't live in New York City. I live in, you know, numbfuck Iowa. Right. Like, I well, There's wanna... a lot of good schools in numbfuck Iowa. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just, you know... <laughs> Like, how, how do you, what would you, how would you advise them to choose and pick a school? I mean, what would you say? <clears throat> well, I mean, for people who don't know what martial art they're looking for, like, there's some people, they just have no idea if they want to do kickboxing or jiu-jitsu or wing chun or whatever. Right, regardless um, of system. Yeah, they, they, they need to find a place where they feel comfortable. Um, you know, because essentially we always, we spend time kind of like in three places, right? We're home, we're work, and then there's like some third place we like to go to. Like, right. for some people, that's the bar. For other people, it's they, you know, they like to go in an alley and get in bump fights or whatever, right? And for other people, it's the martial arts school, right? right? It's kung fu life, right? Yeah, and and if if that martial arts school doesn't feel like the <laughs> third place, then it really doesn't matter what it is or what style it is. That they're not going, they're not going to go there regularly if they don't feel like that's the third place. So I think the feeling of a place, the vibe you get from the instructors. Do the instructors look like they actually care about? helping the students or do they just look like they're there to show off how badass they are because if you walk into a lot of schools especially here in New York you know you come in and like the instructors are brutalizing the students or they just want to show how good they are and they're not actually concerned with helping that student gain those skills and that's definitely the kind of place I would say to stay clear of and more than likely that place is also not a place that you would feel like that's your your, your, your second home anyway you know right you need to get a vibe of the place right. I think as important as the vibe of the instructor is the vibe of the students because we all know most martial arts you're going to learn from your seekings anyway. Right. So, you know, even if the, you get in and the instructor glad hands you in, you know, and he seems like a great guy, but we all know, you know, we all know seafoods, they're never around, right? They're in LA. Daddy, they're, Daddy. The, they're in LA at the Toad's party, you know? So you have to. Daddy was never around. Daddy was never around, give me a hug. <laughs> you know, you got you to learn from your seekings, and if the seekings seem like bunch of jerks you're not going to want to you're not going to feel comfortable there right. you know sure. and you're going to want to go someplace where you feel comfortable and you know seriously if, if this is a an indication of of your student man i you know these are just the ones i allowed to come that's why because i wanted you to have oh, that impression yeah. oh see, well, i, I made sure that there were certain, certain people that didn't come anywhere near this podcast you learned today. that in hong kong right I, I did i did yeah this is called putting your best face forward these are all my shiniest faces here see you can't be talking about faces dude <laughs> <laughs> well we got a question this week uh-oh um carlos wrote in and asked uh they said with Jeet Kune Do and Wing Chun being concept-based arts, right? How can how can they be improved? Like you know, like can you? Is there something to improve? Are are, are we looking at um, you know like uh, some people say? Oh, to improve Jeet Kune Do, you have to add grappling. Mm -hmm. You know, to improve Wing Chun, you need to add grappling. Mm -hmm. What what gun is fighting. gun fighting? Gun right? fighting. Yeah, well, listen, like. What, 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 how would you answer that question when people say, how have you improved your Wing Chun? Uh, 
Well, the, our uniforms are a lot better than they used to be. But they have pockets. They have pockets now, yeah. Right. The old pants didn't have pockets, and that was a big problem. Right. So that was the first thing that needed to be improved about Wing Chun. I'm just happy you're wearing pants. pants. Right? Yes. Well, yes. People stand up and see those yellow things you got on. <laughs> these, these, like MC these, Hammer had these, those these, on like 30 years ago. These are my Game of Death shorts. All right. Uh, so, well, actually, that, that's They're really killing good. killing me. So. That, 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 that's a really good question. Like... If you talk about a concept-based martial art, and then, well, how do you improve it if it's essentially not about the techniques, it's about following the concept? And I think that, at least in the case of Wing Chun, the way we teach it here is, Wing Chun was originally designed to fight against other martial arts. In that time period, like, specifically the other Kung Fu styles, right? It's not a style that was meant like, okay, you learn Wing Chun to spar against other Wing Chun people, right? But if you look at most Wing Chun training, it's always like Wing Chun versus Wing Chun, right? right? And of course, it's important to learn Chi Sao and to do all the traditional Wing Chun drills, but you also need to learn how to apply your Wing Chun against a hook and a swing and someone trying to grab you and do this and that to you. And that, I think, is where the evolution comes, is that we can apply the same principles, we can do the same traditional Wing Chun, but we need to update the manner in which it's taught. So instead of like, for example, in the 50s, I remember uh, Ch uh, Chen Chi Man in Hong Kong, who was one of Yip Man's very early period students, he told me that um, in the middle of Chi Sao training, Yip Man would attack them with random moves from other martial arts styles. Wow. Um, but by other martial arts styles, he meant uh, specifically Choi Le Fat and Hong Kun, because those were the two other styles that were prominent in Hong Kong. Right. So in the middle of a Chi Sao exchange, um, uh, uh, Chen Chi Man told me like, Yip Man would like, drop down into a horse stance and do like a gut punch and then when you went for it he would like come over and do like the the hanging fist from Charlie Fudd or something like that right just to make sure that you had the reaction to to fight against it right and I thought that was really cool and I thought wow that was in the 50s and that was right. extremely progressive right because sure. he wants to make sure that his students actually know how to defend the movements of other martial arts styles and I feel that many of Grandmaster Yip Man's own students don't do that anymore and, and he's not the only one who told me that Yip Man used to do that. So I think the only difference is nowadays, instead of like in the middle of Chi Sao attacking our students with some punch, you know, straight out of Shaw Brothers or something like that, now it has to be okay. Now I'm going to try to pummel under your arms and grab you and try to bring you down. Now I'm going to try to move your arms and put you in a headlock and throw you to the floor. Or I'm going to back up and try to give you a low kick. Oh, yeah, challenge and, accepted. All right, let's go. Fifth floor. All right, I'll be waiting up there for you. <laughs> Go ahead. I'll finish the podcast. So, uh, so I, I think that if if we start to actually take um, Yip Man's example and use the same principles and same concepts, but we just update who we're practicing it against, right? I think that's the next evolution. And you know, in addition to obviously um, using uh, pads and safety equipment and things like that that they didn't use in the old days, I, I think kind of. Um, that is probably how I would look at that. I agree spot on. I mean, I look at, like, um, even in Bruce Lee's notes, when you look at the Tao Chi Kondo and commentaries on a martial way, I think um, while Bruce Lee was always looking at and examining other martial arts, I think, in my opinion, that a large percentage of that had to do with him making sure he could handle himself against other martial arts. Right. I think a large section, I'm not saying he wasn't interested in Muay Thai and other, <coughs> other systems of martial arts, but I think if you look at um, the core of what Bruce Lee was doing, the idea of controlling distance, timing, and rhythm, and um, utilizing the five ways of attack, I think if he looked at another martial art, he was looking at that, that martial art to say, okay, how would I fight that art? And the only way he could know how he would fight that art would be to expose himself to right. it. You know, it wasn't so much the it wasn't so much the idea of let me incorporate that martial art into my system. Sure. It was again, this is just my opinion, so like it was do I need to change what I do to to so I have the ability to deal with that. Right. You know? So like if I just met you and let's say you taught Alex Jitsu and, um, Which I do, by the way. That's on Sundays. <laughs> and I bet it's like special pricing and shit, right? Yes, but you have to yeah. wear the yellow shorts. That's the whole thing. <laughs> and then I'm not signing up. <laughs> Baby, you were born that way. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I just, I, I, you know, say you're teaching Alex Jitsu, you know, and I'm Bruce Lee, right? Because I'm fucking Bruce Lee. Yes, yes. Okay, so I'm Bruce Lee. And I meet you, and I'm like, oh, cool. Can you tell me about Alex Jitsu? Right. Not because I really want the yellow shorts and shit. Right. It's just because I want to know 
do I have to change anything so that I can employ my devastating straight lead against you? Right. You know, it's like, uh, you can know there's five ways to attack because you need five. There's a, a misconception in the Jeet Kune Do community, again, just my opinion for you knuckleheads out there, um, that all, like, you'll hear on almost every Jeet Kune Do website and Jeet Kune Do books is, like, this idea that all, all attacks fall within the five ways of attack. It's complete bullshit. And then, then you'll have the guys turn around and say, like, um, oh, well, yeah, my Sifu invented a sixth way of attack. Again, who gives a shit? It's... It's, there's five ways of attack because that's what, that's what you need. If you look at the different kind of opponents that you're going to face, like say, so like Bruce Lee sat there and said, okay, if I throw a punch at a guy, X amount of things can happen. You know, he could move. He could block it. He could punch me back. I could, punch, I could hit him. There's, there's a, a, a list of things that could happen. Right. He involved, he created his tactics and strategy around the idea of, how people dealt with his attack. If he now ran into Alex teaching Alex Jitsu, he had to make sure that he still had the tools, the keys to unlocking Alex Jitsu. Right. Not so much that he wanted to incorporate wearing of yellow shorts into his, sure. you know, into his system, you know? Right. And, 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 and then he'll sit down, so, so he's sitting down and we're playing and you tell me, okay, and Alex Jitsu, you know, you jump in the air and spin three times before you throw a hook kick. Right. And Bruce Lee writes it down. And Alex Jitsu, jump in the air, spin three times and throw a hook kick. And then Bruce Lee dies. And his wife needs to pay the mortgage. So she, they, they put all these notes together and they publish it as a Tao Ji Kendo. And now you have a bunch of assholes running around in yellow shorts, jumping in the air three times spinning before they throw a kick. Because Bruce, Bruce, Lee wrote, so. Bruce Lee wrote it in his notes. Right. You know, and, and I kind of feel like that's what happened with some of, you know, the notes. And sure. Like, so what you were saying before, to, just to bring my eulogy to a freaking close here, it was, it was when you were saying how you modernized the training and this idea of being able to adapt to different types of attacks and everything, that it, to me is the core of what we do. Right. It's the core of Jeet Kune Do. Right. And the one other thing I wanted to say is when I, used to, when I was doing the MMA with the, the Straight West Gyms guys, there's a coach with Straight West Gyms named Adam Singer who's brilliant. His brother Rory saying I fought in the UFC. I know the two brothers pretty well. I used to know them better than I do now. He gave me one of the best pieces of advices. He said, when you're running a gym, make it the rule that as soon as you start the class until the minute you leave, at any time, anybody can tackle somebody. <laughs> at any time, you know, intelligently, you're not going to hurt your training partner, but at any time, somebody can tackle you while running any drill. And if you wanted to make sure that that can't happen during this drill, the, the, the coach had to say, okay, for this drill here, we're gonna, no, no tackling. <laughs> and you know what? You get a really good sprawl that way. Right. Because you're either gonna pull, pull guard or sprawl. Right. Or twist your knee. But, but like, that was a great piece of advice. Sure. I mean, that was this idea of like, when you said about it, man had this. Right, he's doing I mean, the random attacks. Yeah, you know, that was, that was something that, uh, yeah, it was big in our school for a long time. Well, also, when you talk about the notes too, in the in the Tao Chi Kendo, you just see like a couple sketches where Bruce would show like Thai boxing, or he would show right, like, right, right. like the kicks on the bag or whatever. But when you looked at John Little's notes on the book Chi Kendo, which were much more expanded, they were like right. the expanded notes. Yeah, commentaries. You, yeah. you actually saw that Bruce wrote like. Um, pros and cons of everything. Right. And then he wrote like like for example in Muay Thai he's like you know powerful kicks, but one of the cons was like the movement was not very efficient. And then and then he talked about like the speed and the timing and those notes were missing from the Tao Jeet Kune Do. And, right. And then you can actually see that Bruce was really actually analyzing all that stuff, as opposed to saying like okay well now I have to kick like a Thai boxer now so I need to add this style in here and do this and this and this. And and the same for me like when I go to Hong Kong, I. Uh, I meet with masters of different kung fu styles, um, and I and I want to see how they actually teach and, and what you know what the fighting tactics are because it helps me understand the atmosphere in Wing Chun was developed in to begin with. You know, it's like because most people just learn Wing Chun is this kind of monolithic thing. They learn the art and and they just have to take their sifu's word for it. Right. And I want to go back and be like, okay, well, so why did Wing Chun emphasize? 
this low elbow position so much in the context in which it, it grew up in. And then when I visit the other martial art guys in Hong Kong, it, it becomes pretty clear. And that it gives, gives one an understanding that you wouldn't otherwise have if you only kind of stayed stuck with the blinders of your one particular style. But at the same time, I don't mix those styles into Wing Chun. Right. You know, and I think that, sure. that, I think that that's, that's probably the difference. Wow, that's, well, we, we have another question here from a Sean from Brooklyn. That's me. And he wants to know why in Wing Chun are the weapons that are trained obsolete? Why, aren't, why haven't the weapons been updated? Why, why would we train an obsolete weaponry in Wing Chun? Mm. Well, what, which, which weapons aren't obsolete? Well, I don't know. Are, I, are, the last time I saw... Are obsolete? Uh, machetes? Knives? Where do we draw the line? Once you have a gun, I think everything is obsolete. Right, this is true. <laughs> oh, so, so maybe, so what I'm getting at, you dickheaded motherfucker, <laughs> is that maybe, maybe you can talk a little bit about some of the uh, pros of using a long pole that's not so much for fighting in an alleyway. Like, why, 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 why well, do we... First of all, let's just say you don't regularly fight in alleyways with long poles. And when, 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 you, when you live in New York, you, you never know. There's some people... You don't know what their situation is, right? right. <laughs> uh, they, 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 they might need to defend themselves regularly with long sticks. Long sticks, um, there you go. So, uh, yeah, well, actually that, 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 that is a really interesting question because if you look at, if you look at uh, Filipino martial arts at, at like Kali and Eskrima that teach sticks and knife and machete and all that kind of stuff, it's, it's really easy to see how that stuff is a lot you know, more practical. If you have an umbrella in your hand or you, you have a you know, folding knife in your pocket or whatever, uh, it makes sense to learn these different bladed martial arts or whatever. So when you have a nine foot long pole and you have two, hey, not bad. Wow, look at that. I also, I also picked up something at Cold, oh, I also picked up something at, 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 at Cold, Cold Steel this week. Check oh, that out. This one's really nice. That's nice. Yeah. We were at Cold Steel on uh, Monday with Lo Mang, and, and he got, uh, they gave him an $800 Tai Chi sword. But it's like a real combat, like, wow. slice a pig in half Tai Chi sword. And, and, he, and he, he comes in, and he's like, oh, do you think they'll give me one? He asked me in Cantonese, you think they'll give me one of these? And I'm thinking, like, I look at the price tag, and I'm like, I don't know, and then and then uh, and then the guy comes up to me. He goes, "Oh, let me know if he wants anything, and we'll give it to him." And they gave it to him, and, and they're just like, "Yeah, just." You ask only him. said one thing. Yeah. I would have been fucking well, shocked and like a well, kid Christmas. They, they gave him that, and then they said all of us, and it was like a group of seven. We all got these tactical folders for free. This one was like two hundred bucks. They wow. just gave it to us. It was crazy. That's so, incredible. Um, yeah, so I mean, it, it makes sense why people would practice those kind of weapons because. Uh, um, the skills from a screamer or Kali are, are, are much more transferable to everyday objects and knives right, and things right, like that. Right. So then you look at like a nine foot long wood pole and then you look at these two short, very specific Kung Fu knives and you go, okay, so, so <laughs> why, do we, why do we need to practice this? Why does this need to be preserved? Um, well, I think the reason why most people do Wing Chun in, like, for many years has very little to do with self-defense. Right. You know, it's like if, if, if you need to learn to defend yourself, you, you, you know, you just need to learn a couple basics. You need to understand awareness. Like uh, Doc Cheng talked about the difference between social and asocial violence. Right. Like most of the social violence you can deal with with like, hey, man, it's mm -hmm. cool. Sorry. I didn't mean to look at you, whatever. And the asocial violence, you just got to you just got to clock the dude and get out of there. Right. 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 Um, so I, I don't think somebody does Wing Chun for five years, 10 years, 20 years solely for self-defense it would seem like you know they're going right, like sure i can defend myself pretty good but i'm just waiting to learn that damn pole and then i'll really <laughs> be able to defend myself right um one of the things i realized was now i've, I've been teaching the long pole for for a few years um i noticed it in my own training but i i, I never use myself as the measuring stick because i i feel that i'm I'm kind of a geek, and I'm not. I'm not like the average no, person. Right? No, no, don't put yourself um, down. So, like that. Um, no, uh, geek is a total term of endearment. It's a nerd that you don't want to be. All right, it's geek is okay. And you're not a right? nerd at all. <laughs> so, uh, with the long pole, what I realize is one because traditionally we don't really do any kind of strength, like weightlifting or right. that kind of strength training in Wing Chun. But the long pole is an unbelievable strength training tool for your tendons and your ligaments, and the. The ability to, to, to launch the long pole or to do the basic strength training with the long pole transfers one-to-one -to, -one to punching power, to power of guns, to the ability to, to send your arms forward with, with a lot of really kind of whipping tendon force. Mm -hmm. So there is a huge physical benefit from training long pole for the unarmed stuff. But what I find from a technical standpoint is doing the Wing Chun long pole is like doing single arm chi cell like Dan Chi mm -hmm. with a nine foot long arm. 
right. All right. And so you learn in a really exaggerated sense the angles, like like how to you know in one of the things in long poles that we always keep ourselves behind the weapon, which is very much like always occupying the center line. Mm -hmm. So it, it's just essentially an exaggerated version of what you're trying to do with your fist. And when my students learn the long pole, I find that they actually start to streamline their movements in chi cell. Instead of trying to go for some you know, cool combination and pull pie and launch the guy and do all this cool stuff, when they, when they learn long pole, they become much more minimalist and they become, in my opinion, actually much more effective. So uh, for me, the long pole is another tool for them to understand unarmed Wing Chun better. And the knives are 100% that because the knives are much closer to the fist fighting techniques. And there's a, a finality when you have two knives in your hands that you don't have when you have a long pole. When you, when you face another partner with a long pole, because the distance is so long, it's a little bit impersonal. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody comes towards you, you can stick, you can glide to their weapon and then go in. And you're, you're kind of almost like fighting from the safety of a cockpit. It's almost like playing a video game. You're kind of like, you're right. outside here and all the fighting is kind of going on over there. So it's, it's very external. But when you have two knives in your hands and the knives are not very long, and somebody's coming at you with a mid to long range weapon. It's like, okay, right, I'm right. Not, I can't stand here and then just like kind of try to block the thing and then hope he doesn't pull back and shank me with the same weapon. I need to make sure that the moment he moves, within one or two steps, I can cut him. So that kind of like, um, you can't take an inch back. You have to 100% go for it, um, is the final lesson in Wing Chun because that's killing your ego. You have to have no thought of self if you're going to, to preserve yourself because if you're scared and you wait, you're gonna get killed. So that lesson, that mental lesson, in addition to all the technical, and the, you know, people are like, oh, the knives are great for training your wrists. If you have to wait all the years to just right, make exactly. your wrists stronger, I, I think you missed the whole point. I think right. what you're learning in the knives is not really that great. Um, for me, there's a huge mental hurdle of like, okay, you have a nine foot long pole, you're gonna attack me with that, I have these short knives. Before you can even take that step, I'm going to bridge the gap and cut your hands. Hmm. And that same kind of mentality you have to have in fist fighting. And I think in the way I look at, that's one of the final lessons in Wing Chun to begin with. And that's I, I why the really like that a lot. I, yeah. um, I had once heard someone, someone once told me that the, one of the major lessons that they learned from the knives was that um, unless you're an idiot, you don't walk around with this, I want to fight the world attitude. Right. You know, you don't live, like, we both have lives outside of Kung Fu, and we, eh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, we each talked about lives for an hour and a night. That's right. <laughs> I watched Dancing with the Stars. But um, I don't walk around as, like, this angry guy, ready to kill, uh, you know, that I, I, don't, I don't know what the, the right term for it is, but the knives kind of help you, when you pick up the knives, that, like, this idea of, reinforcing in your brain what I'm doing here is something it's, it could be for the death it's right. the idea of turning on that killer mindset right. and when you put the knives away shutting it off right sure that just practicing the idea of turning that on and shutting it off so that you don't have to walk around like one of these reality based self defense guys where like I'm walking around in coat orange you know like, yes exactly you know what I mean like, yeah. you can just like have a normal conversation and make fun of your friends and have you know and then God forbid something happens you can turn it on and that that was in their opinion the, the main lesson of the knives was this, this idea of being able to turn on that killer instinct right, right. and shut it off you know because as important as turning it on is shutting it off yeah. but if you come to class and you know you're doing all this serious kung fu with knives and poles, and you know, and you walk down the stairs, and someone bumps into you on Sixth Avenue, and you're ready right. to it's kill. So you know, yeah. like then you've lost the whole lesson. Absolutely. You know, you've lost the whole idea of kung fu. Yeah. You know what I mean? If someone bumps into you, it kind of should be, oh man, I'm sorry. You know, right. hey, you only know, buy you a soda, kind of thing. Right. And I think that the knives help you shut that off. Yeah. At least Absolutely. that's, you know... Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I mean, the irreversibility of using knives and then that putting them away and like, okay, I'm done. And, and being able to essentially control yourself, which right. is the highest skill. Um, yeah, you were totally right. You made that comment about like those reality-based self-defense instructors. And 
I, I know a few people who are in those styles and, and I knew them before they started learning those. Like you have those military tactical self-defense right. styles and they're like, you know, you always have to watch out. You always have to be in code orange. At right. any corner, you might get jumped by a bunch of ninjas with knives who are all trying to shank you and kill you or whatever. And, and they were like normal human beings before they did that. Right. And now and they, that, that even... martial arts like made them so unbelievably paranoid. Yes. All right. Like we live in crazy times. You need to be aware. Um, you need to... Uh, uh, understand that, yeah, I mean, anything can happen at any time and you, you have to have kind of a, a, a clear head about certain things and the realities of the world we live in. But if your martial art is turning you into like a total paranoid person where you think like anytime you hear the doorbell uh, right. and you're exactly. in a public place, suddenly you're like, you know, you're like this. And I, I think it's actually doing them a disservice. And I would hope that um, martial arts help you become a better version of you and not a more paranoid version of someone you never were before you even walked in the door. Right. I mean, for me, I mean, you know, martial art to you is different than it is for me in that it's not a business to me. Right. You know, it's it's your, it's your living and that's awesome. Um, for me, it's a hobby. So, and I know it's like a dirty word. I said that once on Facebook and like, it was, I got, Ream, the word I said, hobby? I said it was a hobby. Oh my god! And it was like, oh my god! I did know, you say, did you say I know it's it? a way of life. I know, I know all the bullshit, but it, it's a hobby. Unless I'm making a living from it, it's a hobby, you know. Um, and if I'm going to do something as a hobby, as a hobby, if I'm going to do something, it's got to make me happy. Right. If if it doesn't make me happy, why am I going? I mean, have you met my son? It's like, it's like, you know, I'm miserable half the day anyway. I mean, I'm like, okay. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, ho- hobbies should make you happy. They shouldn't make you angry and paranoid. Right. And the second, it's like if I build, like, model airplanes, and the next thing I know, I'm looking in the sky to be attacked by an F-14, it's time for me to st- step away from the model glue, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, it's probably, it's probably it's the like, glue that's doing it, too. You know what I mean? Uh. And if, if taking Kung Fu is making you, like, super paranoid and, like, you don't trust everybody and you're in code orange and it's time for you to take a step back and, you know, start dating people. Like, right, you know, right, like, right, right. It's, it's okay, you know, like, it's... Absolutely. Uh, no, you're, you're right. You'd be, that's why I have a very hard time finding a lot of friends in martial arts because I feel like um, martial arts is kind of like... Um, do, you ever, uh, do you ever watch... I know this is kind of a weird reference, but do you ever watch Bill Cosby himself, that old stand-up that he did? You know what? He drugged me, and I fell asleep. <laughs> okay, you gonna, had to go there, of course. I was going to watch Bill Cosby, but he gave me a drink. Right? And, 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 and he had this great joke. Uh, he was, well, he, you know, he, he used to tell these, like, great stories, and he, and he says, like, he asked his friend why he does cocaine, right? And his friend says, well, it intensifies your personality. And then Bill Cosby goes, yeah, but what if you're an asshole? Right? <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I kind of have a feeling like with martial arts, it's kind of like if people already come in with that kind of attitude that they're right. going to be like that, then sometimes martial arts just gives them the tools to not only be asocial, but then also be violent. And then I think that mix there kind of can, can make people like a, a paranoid mess, which is why I think... A, a Sifu has to also make sure that the, the culture of the students that are coming in is like solid. You have like legit normal people, like all of my students. They're all normal. All right. Yeah, they are really remarkably nice. How did you do that? Uh-huh. Like, how did you do that? They're all like nice. It's like... Well, you know what it is? It, it, oh, you're right. It, you handpicked the guys that were out here, right? Well, yeah. well you know what it is? In, in my, the very beginning when I started teaching, I didn't have a lot of students. And I would just tell some people, like, no, I'm, I'm not going to teach you. Like, don't right. join my school. Right. And, and I made sure that, like, I kind of built it with the right people. And occasionally, you know, there are some wrong people who are in my school. And uh, they either weed themselves out very quickly. Or I've actually booted people out of my school who right. are, like, not good training partners. Or they have, like, ethical issues and stuff like that. Um, because the problem is one, one rotten apple really spoils sure. the whole thing. And once you have a culture of like lots of really cool, adjusted metropolitan people from all sorts of different backgrounds, the person who comes in like this, when he looks around, realizes that they don't belong here. Right. So they don't join. So, yeah. it be, so having a school full of really awesome, normal, sweet people is the wall to keep all the jerks out. Yeah. And then, of course, I have super sexy Ethan in the front there with his muscles there like to intimidate uh-huh. anybody who, who does want to come in. And then he'll be like, so... You want to learn from my seafood, huh? <laughs> All right? That's his job. He, he, 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, by the way, Ethan, can you come here a second? I want you to say hi. Hey, take your shirt off, Ethan. <laughs> come over here. Have, have a seat right here. Hey, come here, sit here. Ethan, send me a lap, babe. It's all right. So, <laughs> so uh, Ethan is one of my senior students here at City Wing Chun. He's also the program director, and he also hey. teaches now in Brooklyn since when? Uh, since May. Uh, we just opened in May. Uh, we're in the Crown Heights area by Prospect Park. Awesome. Uh, yeah, we've been teaching since then. It's and how can how can people find out all about you? Um, uh, my website is bkwingchun uh, with a ts uh, dot com. Um, so yeah. you're giving them way too credit. Spell it out. Yeah. Spell people it out. are B- stupid. Okay. <laughs> bkwingtsun uh, dot com, and we're on Facebook and uh, everything like that. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. It's very awesome. We have some very cool students. And come to, come to City Wing Chun. If you do an intro lesson, this guy will teach you an intro lesson and he's awesome. He won't hurt you too bad. Yeah, unless too bad. unless you come in here with an attitude. And he's an awesome guy. Or no money. I gotta... Right. Yes, yeah. <laughs> or no money. Yeah, forget it. Then he'll also boot you out here. And, uh, oh, I got another one of my senior students here. Barry, why don't you come on up? Barry's a military man. Wow, really? Yes, yeah, in, in the Army. Thank All you for right? your service, sir. He just plays the trumpet for the army. I'm not even trumpet. Trumpet. Sorry. <laughs> so, hey, tell tell them what your nickname in boot camp was. <coughs> the Black Ninja. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and why did you get the nickname the Black Ninja? Because uh, dur- oh, 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 you're black. I'm a, I'm black and I'm a ninja. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, in basic training. Uh, you're in an open man base, about 60, uh, 18 to 22 year olds, and they're full of testosterone. They like to wrestle each other. So the biggest guy in the bay comes behind me, puts me in a rear naked choco. I grab his balls. <laughs> he lets them go. I turn around, give him some chain punches in the throat. And then after that, I was he was the black, the black ninja. ninja. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That would scare the shit out of me. That's right. That's I'm, right. in fact, scared right now. Just sitting here. <laughs> All right, let's get him out of here. Jimmy, come over here. So, Jimmy is uh, another one of my senior students. He also now runs a class. where you, You're, like, in Sleepy Hollow, right, with the Headless Horseman. Yeah, I'm, I'm all over the place. My, uh, most of my lessons right now are private lessons, so our location changes from time to time. So, oh, all right. Yeah. So you're, like, in the back of a van sometimes? Exactly. Sometimes, sometimes in the back of a van. Sometimes at night. It's like, like free hugs on the side. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, right now currently in Sleepy Hollow and uh, sometimes White Plains. We're probably going to move to White Plains over time. That's the awesome. plan, you know. Awesome, so, awesome, yeah. awesome. Yeah, and Jimmy has an extensive background in what you, you did. Uh, uh, I've done I've mainly all my martial arts before Wing Chun were uh, Japanese martial arts like um, Judo, Karate. And he has an Judo, amazing yeah. video where like it was right before you started Wing Chun. He was in like yes. a, he was in a karate tournament and at that point he was like kind of done with karate. He was ready to do Wing Chun yeah. and he's like in there and you, he does a you do a spinning back kick and knock the dude out yeah, and then just, you're just kind of like all right, I'm done. It's time to learn Wing Chun now. Yeah, pretty, pretty much. <laughs> it's like yeah. the coolest video ever. Yeah, so Jimmy, yeah. Jimmy's a pretty serious dude despite his smiley ways. Yeah, He's exactly. A, it's just a front. Very, very, yeah. very dedicated student. All right, man, cool. Oh, thanks. Thanks. I, have a, I have a gift to give you, by the way. And you know this officially ends, ends an era in our relationship, all right? Because for the longest time, you were able to give me shit because you were the only person who doesn't have my book. Oh, wait, no. Am I getting the book? You are getting the book. So now you have to find some other reason to give me shit on the podcast. Oh, it's almost like I brought a Sharpie for you to sign it. Well, it's almost like I already (laughs) signed it beforehand. (laughs) So, because the problem is when uh, Sean wanted a book and he sent an email and we had completely sold out by the time we got him one. Yeah, by the way, I wasn't looking for a freebie. I was looking to buy a book. Yeah, we were going to jack up the price anyway for him. $32.95. Thirty-two ninety-five. Was it printed in fucking blood? <laughs> yes, yes, it is. It is. We, and I really? got the blood in Hong Kong. Check it Dude, out. Dude, this book was awesome. <laughs> so there you go. You now have the book in your hand, and now. Wow, you, I gotta read it. You, yeah, there's, but there's also, but the fo- the photos are very easy to read. Yeah. You saying I'm so dumb? I can't read. Well, you know, if you, if you do the Sunum Tal part really fast, it's like a flip book. And then you can see it's a very easy way to, to Holy to shit, he's shitting on me in front of his students. <laughs> so now you have to find another reason to give me crap because you finally have my book. Well, no. So where am I going to first in this book? Where am I going to first? You got to go... Uh, 
Oh wait, by the way, you're in, you're in the back here. That's why I'm looking. What Check the- it out. Somewhere on page 480. Uh, whoa, check it out. Look at that. Oh, wow. Big Sean. Holy shit. That's right. So, folks, this is the page worth reading. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's the only one. It's Dude, the, the I'll be comments. honest with you. I'm really excited. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, my pleasure, man. My Thank pleasure. you very Glad much. You I'm very now. excited about this. Oh, cool. Ethan's in it. Yeah. Oh, now I'll read it. it. Now, now you know the people who are in it. <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't read it if Ethan wasn't in it. This is very cool. This looks like incredible, actually. This yeah. looks. Lots you know what? I'll be honest with you. I didn't realize it was so thick when I saw the picture online. I thought it was a thinner book. I'm not going there, man. <laughs> <laughs> you sick bastard! <laughs> yeah, you said it. <laughs> yes, I, 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 you of the little feet. You know, they always compensate. Yeah. Like it's just. Oh amazing. well, totally. Look, I'm like I'm like a midget. I'm like I'm like five foot two. So of course <laughs> I, I have to make my Sunumtel book bigger than everyone else's. That That's looks really solely awesome. compensating right there. Yeah, you know what's funny? <laughs> I I had there was a Sifu here from another Wing Chun style. I'm not gonna say which lineage. All right. All right. He uh, he saw the book and he goes and he looked at it and he goes. I didn't know there was so much stuff about Sunumtel. <laughs> and I was, he was like, I didn't know someone could write so much about Sunumtel. And I go, well, there are a lot of photos in there. <laughs> Just to make it feel better. <laughs> but it's like, hey, for me, the Sunumtel form is the most important form in Wing Chun. And like the, the thing is, the amount of information I had to cut down to get the book to that size, I'm going to have to put it in, in my other books, was, was pretty tremendous. And we have the, um, the mottos and, and the explanations and everything. And, and basically, I wanted to write a book in a way that I felt it had not been addressed yet. Um, the Chinese books are usually great, but they're normally written in Chinese and translated into Chinglish. Right. And, you know, here's like an actual Wing Chun book written by a native English speaker. And I wanted to put all the things in there that I felt got kind of glossed over by right. the other books. So that's, uh, that's the book you have in your hand. So, wow. And, and I have end notes and, and all, all my sources that are not like from my brain. I cite all my sources. Unlike some other famous Wing Chun quote-unquote researchers, I, I put and yeah, I have all the movements back here with the Chinese and everything. Wow. So, yeah. It's definitely a, um, a tribute to my OCD. I can't wait to rip this off. This yeah, is awesome. sure. Well, you'd be surprised. <laughs> you'd be surprised at famous Sifus in, in Europe who uh, you know call themselves grandmaster and who have you know gone on to you know become their own head of their whatever they they ask their students to order the book so that we don't know that they're actually ordering it really because they they want to use it to uh, as a um, a teaching manual for sure them, for sure their own I classes. bet so then some, so then sometimes so I mean, then it's... sometimes I'll add a note in there to that seafood knowing that it's going to them like thanks hope you enjoy the book <laughs> i love that that's awesome yeah. this this looks really incredible. so i think for the maybe for the next six or seven podcasts we can just do readings from it what do you think <laughs> a reading from the book of alex <laughs> yeah i want to quote alex chapter six verse seven but although in, in all honesty there is one book that i would love to do like we can do special podcasts where we do on-air readings of it, and that's Ish- the amorous adventures of Ashida Kim. Do you know who Ashida oh, Kim is? Oh, I know who Ashida Kim is. He has a book called The Amorous Adventures of Ashida Kim, of Ashida Kim, which is all of his sexual exploits while he was working for the CIA, according to himself, and it is hysterical. And he talks <laughs> about killing people with his ninjutsu techniques, and then like you know getting all these hot chicks, and then like and it's and he says like at the beginning it says. The names in this book were not changed to protect the innocent because no one was innocent. <laughs> Actually, says that in the opening of the book, and I would just love to have readings of it because it is so funny. Now, didn't he also write books under a different name? Um, he may have. I mean, nowadays, you know, in, in the 80s... I thought, I thought he wrote books under two names. Like, there was... Because he's the ninja, right? He's the ninja. I think he also He's a ninja wrote... with a Japanese and Korean name, Ashida Kim. Yes. I thought and he's he... a, and he's a white guy for people who don't know. Ashita Kim is a nerdy white guy from Florida, <laughs> who who has been writing um, ninjutsu books since the eighties. I mean, they used to sell I them think... in the big bookstores. Yeah, no, because I remember he. I think he wrote books on samurai, samurai, as well under a different name. Oh, I, uh, it's it's quite possible. It's quite possible. But there are videos of him on YouTube which are hysterical. I'm not even going to tell you guys which ones to look at. Just. Go to YouTube and look up Ashita Kim, and thank you. Enjoy. <laughs> you will love it. 
That's incredible. They're amazing. It's so funny. I love mar- martial art. Uh, you know, people who are of dubious martial arts heritage, I always find kind of funny, and and I, I love to I love to just see the stuff that they do. It's really great. Really great. Well, dubious martial artists. That's rare, huh? Very rare. There's only like six of them in the whole world. Right. Everyone else is 100% legit. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, before we sign off today, should we take any questions from our very limited audience here? I see, again, like steroids and baseball, it should be mandatory. It should. That be. if they don't come up with a good question, they get reduced in rank. Oh, yes. Okay, good. So, Margaret, what's your question? Good. Uh, <laughs> Ethan, what's it? Barry, Black Ninja, you have a question. <clears throat> Come over here. Come come close to the yeah, microphone. Okay, now I'm like formulating the question, right? There you go. So one of the podcasts, uh, someone asked about uh, generating uh, power. Yes. How does uh, Jeet Kune Do yes. generate power? And how does uh, Wing Chun? Right, mm-hmm. right. I remember that podcast, yes. Okay, so uh, would you say the same thing applies for the weapon, or is it better to like hold positions more? Oh, is it... Uh, Oh, you mean the stuff we talked about? Because we yeah. were talking mostly like about like punch, for example. Right, 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 right. And uh, you were talking about uh, you know oh, no. body unity, all the rhythm, timing, all that kind of stuff. And I talked about throwing, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. Well, actually, uh, well, the long pole's <coughs> a little bit different because if you throw it too much, you're gonna let go of it, and that thing's gonna harpoon someone through the head, which might be okay if that's your goal. <coughs> um, the long pole power is a little bit different. Um, I, uh, you do actually have to completely extend the arm. So if, I mean, if you hold it there, you're holding the power back. So the same kind of element of throwing, I think, is still there. Um, the knives are 100% the same, except that they, have, they go one further. Because any weapon is essentially an extension of your arms. So if you, if, if you hold the knives at a, at a 90 degree angle like this, and, and you send them forward and you stop, there's all this potential energy that's kind of stuck here. So the same way you would throw your punch like this, but then you have to continue it with the knife as well. So that's another great benefit of the knife is that, you know, if, if you can throw all your power at the end of your fist here, and now you have to send it that much further by casting it away, well, that's also going to increase your punching power tremendously because you're able to, to, to throw the power a little bit further. So I would say a lot of those same things are almost 100% the same as what you do in unarmed. You have to adjust it a little bit for the weapon, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think those principles are, are, are pretty uh, universal. What would you think? Well, again, I, he's, he's the king of, of Wing Chun. I can tell you when I do long pole, I, when, I, when I punch empty hand, I make an, a point of my fist makes contact before my lead foot hits the ground. That's one of the uh, basic principles of Jeet Kune Do as I learned it. So that when I punch, if I punch you, my hand hits your chest before my lead foot hits the ground. I have all this awesome sexy weight. I don't want to put it all into the ground. I want to put it into the center of your chest. If I was going to hit you with a long pole, same rule applies. Now I know some Wing Chun people will have a problem with that, and that's fine. But if, if when I practice long pole, I want to practice being able to absorb the impact with my body. But I, as far as timing goes, it's I want to hit what I'm going to hit before this lead foot hits the ground. Now, I don't know how you do it in your system, but um, that's how we transfer weight into. So when I do long pole, one of the emphasis on what we do long pole is trying to get all the power into the tip of the pole. As the same thing would be into the tip of the fist. Right. So I'm not gonna change my body mechanics. So when I'm gonna hit something, I'm gonna, with an empty hand, I'm gonna hit before that foot hits. So the same thing with the pole. When I'm coming out with the pole, I'm going to hit that extent. And we're talking, you know, a slight. It's I just want the weight to hit and then the foot lands. And then if I have to absorb it, because people say, well, if you hit when your foot's still in the air, you're going to get pushed back. Get right? pushed back, but you won't because you learn how to absorb with your elbows. Right. You know, you learn how to absorb, you know, and I, I think that's where it, it definitely plays in like that. And once we're done with the podcast, I'm going to show you something cool. Remind me. Sweet. All right. Awesome. With your permission, of course. You yeah, of course. Do we'll do it upstairs. Oh, Fucking. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you guys all go upstairs after the podcast. Does any Does anybody else? Yeah, I want to demonstrate on Alex something. <laughs> anybody have a question, Ethan? Uh, you got any cool stories about teaching uh, in Brooklyn, like 20 years ago? Oh yeah, I do actually have a cool story about teaching in Brooklyn. 
Unless I told it already. If I told it already... Which one, did, which one is it? Just tell me... Uh, bandanas. Bandanas? No, I just remember, okay, I just so remember how the neighborhood awesome crackhead. No. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so we had a crackhead in the next door. So we used to do every Friday night, we used to call Friday night at the fights. It was sparring night. And we would do um, full contact stick sparring. You know, so, yeah, so, yeah, I have uh, some, I don't know, you know, weak calf gear. I have a picture I can show you. It's, so, it's kind of like, it's like a body gear, a helmet, hockey gloves, and then we would use 28-inch wooden sticks and just literally just beat the shit out of each other, right, every Friday night. But underneath the helmets, you would get, like, this sweaty mess. So, you know, it was, like, no ventilation, 85 degrees outside, and you're just beating the shit out of each other in the back. So I went out and bought a bunch of bandanas. And I gave the guys bandanas to tie on their heads before they put the helmets on. And I'm like, you know, this is Brooklyn 20 years ago, you know. So I gave these guys all these bandanas. And then the, like, next Friday they come back and they're like, oh, do you have more bandanas? I'm like, I just gave you fucking bandanas last week. And the my students are like, Sean, you gave us red bandanas. I live in Crown Heights. I can't wear a red bandana. <laughs> I'll get fucking shot. <laughs> and I'm like, right? So I'm like, oh, like, you can buy a blue bandana. We can wear a blue bandana. And then the guy goes, no, you know what? That'd get me shot too. Because I really, you know what? Can we just go to like, like a black bandana? <laughs> and I was like, and it just never dawned on me that like I had my guys with these red and blue bandanas. So then we started making a game out of it. Like, so, you know, so what we used to do is like, we put all, everybody's name in a cup because you, you always wanted to pull two names out to fight because you didn't want it to be like, if I was afraid of the black ninja and I'm the one responsible for picking out the fights, I would be like, oh, I'm not gonna fight him, you know what I mean? So we just throw all the names in the cup and pull them out and say, oh, shit, I gotta fight Alex tonight, you know? It's like, uh, so, the, the, so I would pull it out and you would like give one guy the blue bandana and one guy the red bandana and we, you know, we used to call it like, you know, yeah, it was, it was Buds versus Crips, you know? It was just a lot of fun, you know? That was, uh, awesome. and, and our waiver was, we still, you know, I told you the waiver, we had the crackhead next door, and he was just, I just bury you in the yard, man. It's just, he was so awesome. It's like, it was, it was, it was great. I mean, I used to love, I used, you know, Brooklyn, I still love Brooklyn. I mean, I had to move, I had a family, but I love Brooklyn. It was just, uh, I mean, I, 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 not that it's really martial arts related, but I remember one night laying in bed and, you know, newly married, I didn't, didn't even have a kid yet, and we heard three shots right outside the house. Boom, boom, boom. So, you know, I checked my wife, she's okay. I, my mom lived upstairs. I called my mom on the phone, she's fine. I called downstairs. My brother answered the phone, I'm like, you all right? He's like, yeah. He goes, I'm going outside. Let's go outside. So I meet him out on the stoop. Radio cars are pulling up, there's a dead body in the street. And, you know, we come out on the stoop and cops come walking over and I said, what happened? So the, the detective says, uh, oh, they're saying it was suicide. So I said, three shots? And he goes, well, there's a hole in their story. <laughs> and there's this guy with like three bullet holes in his chest, you know? And I'm like, Oh wow, yeah, it's you know, but but Brooklyn, Brooklyn's great. I think Brooklyn gets a bad rap, you know. Brooklyn's an awesome place to live. Um, my knucklehead son will probably be moving to Brooklyn one day because he hates Staten Island. But um, yeah, you know, Brooklyn was interesting. You know, we, I I don't you know, I don't know how to say it. It was like it was just great. I mean, we used to teach in my house. I had a very small apartment. Literally, my living room was the size of this little area here, and we had a jong. And if you ask any of the guys who used to train with me, they used to come to my house three or four nights a week. Uh, so I worked days, my wife worked nights. You know, I, I would work my nine to five job, and my wife would work from five to midnight at a pharmacy. So, but we had two kids. And both kids were like, you know, my son John would be like three, and my son Nick would be in a bassinet. So while we were doing rounds of sparring, it was always somebody's responsibility to take care of the kids. <laughs> so literally, we would have like these big guys sitting in the bedroom with this, this one here in his crib, like rocking the crib and everything. It was, it was the ultimate family atmosphere, man. I loved it, you know? It's like, you remember, he was, he was around back then. It was... I have recordings of it too. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean... I'm gonna trash it on DVD and give it to you. That's cool. on YouTube. Yeah, yeah no, that's not. <laughs> I actually, I, I actually uh, have some... Uh, 
instructional JKD tapes out there. That's right. We were talking about that on another podcast. You need to give me my set. Where's my set? That's never happening. I was searching YouTube for you. That's never, yeah. I bought up everything. It, was, I, it popped up on eBay like for a little bit, and I would just buy the shit up. It was like, I would, cause they're so bad. I mean, like, I would just, like, and if people like put these things up on eBay, and I would like bid a dollar and win, you know? I'd be like, I can just buy them on anything. You know? But uh, yeah, the tapes, you know, we put these tapes out, and it was literally because I was, I was always like, um, people would call me up and say, oh, I'm looking for tapes. You know, instructional tapes, what do you recommend? And it was one series that I always recommended, this one, one guy. And I always recommended his tapes. And then one day he pissed me off. And I was like, ah, oh, fuck him. I'm not doing it anymore. So the next person that called me, I was prepared to say, oh, you know, no, I don't know. But he says, do you have any tapes? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> and he goes, oh, you have tapes? I'm like, yeah. And he said, well, how many tapes do you have? And I said, at the time, I said, oh, we have three. So how much they cost? I'm like, well, they're, you know, $20 each, three for $50. And he's like, oh, well, how do I order it? I'm like, oh, you PayPal it to me. Or whatever the online system at the time was. And he's like, oh, okay. And, and next thing I know, I get like this PayPal for the tapes. So I call up my buddy Walt, and I'm like, dude, we got to record some tapes. <laughs> he's like, you mean you fucking sold tapes? We don't have tapes. And I'm like, oh, gather the guys because we're going to spend this weekend recording. And we went, we went someplace. We literally hung a sheet on the wall. And we recorded like a, it was Jikendo Basics, uh, Energy Sensitivity, which was the worst tape in the world. And then like Jikendo Kickboxing. And um, they sold so well that I had to put out like a, a, a second edition. And I'm telling you, my wife would spend... All day, we had a stack of v VCRs. So we had, like, like, say, like three or four VCRs feeding into one VCR to just continuously make up tapes. And I was selling, like, and, I mean, for me at the time, I had a regular job, but, you know, I was, I was selling four to five sets a week for over a year and a half. I mean, and it was... It was amazing. But That's I, awesome. Yeah, I bought and destroyed everything. <laughs> so but there's I, no, no more evidence of but you, I, I have them. I'll show them to you. I would love to you. see them. That'd be great. Yeah. That'd be really great. And if anybody wants to pay for me. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Hey, today was a lot of fun, man. It was a lot of fun. I I'm, hope everybody had a good time. Um, if you're in New York City, absolutely come see Alex's school. It is incredible. It is, and the people here are so much nicer than Alex. I know it's like I know you're looking at Alex and you're just saying I got a, a bad jerk. taste in my mouth. I have two months. Trust me, his people are awesome, and you get you get to work with Ethan, which you know is worth the price of admission because even Alex called him sexy. That's and, right. You know, he's the Black Ninja. And yeah, we have all. The, I mean, Ethan's a bona fide rock star. He's got a rock band, the the Hampton Brothers, and and I mean, we have like in in and the Black Ninja there is also like a the very famous musician. He's, really? He's toured with Sesame Street. Well, I Street. can play four chords on the Sesame guitar, Street. bitches, okay? So, <laughs> four chords I'm up to. That's it. Ethan, Ethan also teaches guitar, by the way. Really? Yeah, yeah. Well, you're going to teach me my fifth chord today, then, young man. Right. There we go. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> well, thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thank you very much, and I uh, hope everybody had a good time. And uh, we'll see you guys. Oh, next week. Oh, shit. One second. Next week, we have an awesome guest. And we can't tell you who it is. Oh, that's right. That's but we right. have the most awesome guest. Black Ninja. But I can't curse because he's like a gentleman. Okay. Oh, that's right. You're going to have to be on, like, Best you're, you're not going to be able to drop your famous I'm not gonna, I can't talk. So I should get it all in now. Fuck damn shit. Because I'm not going to be able to curse <laughs> next week. <laughs> but next week, trust me, the guest of all guests. Awesome. See you then, folks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>